Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. We sang in that 22nd Psalm this morning in the first verse, My God, my God, oh, why have you in my distress forsaken me? Oh, why so far from giving me help and from my agonizing plea? All day, my God, I cry in vain. By night, yet no relief I gain. Sounds much like the complaints and murmurings of the Israelites in our chapter. Chapter 40 of Isaiah, let's begin in the first two verses and then go down to verse 27. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then in verse 27, the people respond, or our Lord asked the question of their response, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Beginning in chapter 40 of Isaiah, the Lord makes a wonderful proclamation of comfort to his people. Yet that's after 39 chapters of declaring judgment and pronouncing that they shall be led into captivity. God didn't change what he had ordained for them because of their rebellion and sin. In the 39th chapter, God assures them that you're going to be taken into captivity of Babylon. And I'm going to destroy Jerusalem and the temple. Those things that you loved and worshipped and adored, I'm going to annihilate all of them. I'm going to level all of that. And you're going to go into captivity as servants of your enemies. But that doesn't change my love and faithfulness to thee as your God. That's an amazing statement. It's an amazing truth that I believe we need today just as much as God's people did back in the days of Isaiah. For I believe our church or the church is not facing great and perilous times. I believe they are upon us. And I believe the same thing that happened to Israel in the Old Testament with God bringing upon them judgment and punishment, yet God not forsaking His faithfulness and love to them is the same truth we today need to understand, especially in the perilous times in which we live. Yes, the church of God has failed. Yes, the church of God has been weak and frail. And yes, a lot of the world, all of the problems in the church is of our own making. But it doesn't change the fact the church is built on Christ. And to believe that any man or any wisdom of men or any strength of men can defend the church of God is a failure from the beginning. The church is still built upon Christ. 
Nothing, beloved, is more troubling for the true child of God than a sense of the absence of God's presence or His apparent silence to our prayers. My way is hid from the Lord and my judgment is passed over from my God. The psalmist said, Unto thee will I cry, O Lord, my rock. Listen to his confidence. Unto thee will I cry, O Lord, my rock. Be not silent to me. Lest if thou be silent to me, I become like them that go down into the pit. You've got to understand that for 39 chapters, God through Isaiah has been pronouncing judgment upon His people. And then suddenly, beginning in chapter 40, verse 1, God says, I want you to comfort my people now. Comfort ye. And God's people were like, why are you doing this? You say you want to comfort us, and yet you're telling us that we've got to go into captivity if we're going to remain in your perfect will. That it is your ordained will that we go into captivity, captivity in Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed. We don't understand why you're doing that. It is so difficult even for the so-called, if there's such a thing, greatest saint to relinquish all control unto God, especially in times of trouble and affliction and despair and trial. To be able to trust God to not only guide and govern our every lot, but to also decide how long our trials and how severe our trials should be. To simply, and I'm not saying let go and let God, that's a phrase I believe to be unbiblical, but to simply relinquish all control unto God, us wanting so much to have control of everything. Us wanting so much to understand why. Put yourself in Israel's shoes. This had to be very had to be very confusing. If you want to comfort us, then don't make us go into Babylon. If you want to comfort us, don't destroy Jerusalem. They were confused. They didn't understand, so God sets them right. He begins by saying, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He puts them in their place. You're trying to understand an infinite, an infinite, eternal God. You're not going to understand why I'm doing this. It's far above your finite understanding. And simply because I have pronounced punishment and judgment upon you does not mean that my faithfulness has stopped. That I have stopped loving you. And that you're no longer my people. You are still my people. Are you following John the God? You're still my people. No matter how often you fail and fall, even sin against God, nothing can ever change the everlasting love of God once we are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can change that. Nothing changes that. But I'm still suffering. Nothing changes that. But my trials are long and hard. Nothing changes that. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her, 
after 39 chapters of woe, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double of all her sins. She's not received what she deserved. And yet God's command to comfort His people did not make void His judgment that they be carried off into captivity. It didn't change it. Therefore, which is normal for flesh and blood, God's people were very confused and troubled. I don't understand. I'm... Our way is hid from the Lord and their judgment is passed over from our God. I, I don't understand this. Why is this happening? If you want to comfort us, if you still love us, if nothing has changed with our relationship with our God, why is this being allowed to happen? Again, Paul in Romans chapter 11 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Oh, the depth of the riches. Sometimes we don't pause long enough to listen to what we're reading. Oh, the depth of the riches. There's riches in there. It's great depth, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. That's great That's great riches. But he says, how unsearchable are his judgment. My judgment is passed from my God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. My way is hid from the Lord. They're trying to search for that, which even Paul said is past finding out and unsearchable. Sometimes we read so quickly over these verses. Do you realize, and I'll show you in just a few minutes, do you realize that beginning in chapter 40, we have some of the greatest promises of God in the entire Scripture? Do you know what happens in beginning in chapter 40? There's some amazing promises. After 39 years, 39 chapters of saying you're going into captivity, you're being punished for your rebellion and sin, but at the beginning of chapter 40, he says, but I want you to know that doesn't change anything between our relationship. That remains solid, steadfast, and firm, not because of you, but because of me. And let me just remind you what comes up in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Need I say more? Beloved, I believe with all my heart, and I'm not trying to profess to be any kind of prophet, but I believe with all my heart we can actually literally see the condition of God's church today in the same condition they were. God told Israel, if you go into captivity, I will be with you and I will bless you and I will keep you. You build your houses, you live your lives, but you're going to captivity, but I'm going to be with you the entire time. I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to allow this to happen. I believe the church is in some kind of spiritual captivity today and we're suffering because of our negligence, but it doesn't change anything between us and God. And we're not the ones to keep and sustain Christ's church. Christ is. I hear so often from preachers, well, the church needs to rise up and do things. We don't keep the church. We don't have the ability to do that. It's God's church. He keeps it, and He will sustain it. He's its defender, its maker, redeemer, and friend. And so that's why the prophet here is 
commanded to comfort God's people. Amazing, he said, cry unto her that our warfare is accomplished. What do you mean it's accomplished? What warfare? We're going into captivity. No, it's accomplished. Her iniquity is pardoned. What do you mean my iniquity is pardoned? We're going in because of our... No, your iniquity is pardoned. In the eyes of God, it's all pardoned. For she hath received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. He's blessed you more than your sins deserved. How does that fit, they thought? How does that fit? How does that fit with us losing everything and going into captivity? You don't understand what I'm doing, God said. And you'll never understand the depth of it. And I wish not that you try to understand the depth of it. I wish you to only do one thing. I wish you to listen and believe. And the whole point of this exhortation in chapter 40 is verse 31. This is what, and we'll get there, this is what he's wanting them to get to. Yeah, I'll, he says, I'll, I'll, I'll give, he said, I'll give power to the faint and I'll, and I'll give to them that have no might. I'll increase their strength. But this is what I want you to learn. Those that wait upon the Lord. And I like it. I'm getting ahead of myself. He didn't say, I'm going to give you strength. What's the word he used? He says, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew. What do you, you, you only can renew something you already have. So he's talking about experienced believers here in 31. I'm going to renew something you already have. You know of the strength. I'm going to renew that. And I do, you'll mount up with wings as eagles through all of this trouble and trial and tribulations. You'll run and not be weary. You'll walk and you'll not faint. You'll persevere through this. You'll persevere through this captivity. You'll persevere through it, giving me honor and glory. And when the punishment is over, when the time has come, when the time is fulfilled, I'll bring you back to your land and I'll give you all your part. But you have to learn to wait upon the Lord. Too often we waste our time trying to figure out God's plan and purpose. We don't like relinquishing all control to God, especially when things are troublesome and, and there's trials and afflictions. We want to have some kind of control. We feel safer and more confident if we, if we know something, if we've got some kind of a light on our path, if we've got some kind of control over it, we feel better. And God says, no, I want you to wait. You go where I told you to go. You go into Babylon and you wait. You wait. Job said, can't thou by searching find out God? Can't thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? No. We waste so much of our time and trials trying to find light and understanding of why God's doing what he's doing when God simply wants us to do the same thing he's encouraging his people here to do is wait on God. You know, we talk about waiting on God a lot. Well, you know, uh, whatever God wants me to do, how he wants to lead us in our daily lives, our job, our homes, or whatever else we're going to do in our daily we'll just wait on God and let him guide it. That's easy to do. That's easy to do. But waiting on God when everything around you seems to be falling apart, when everything around you seems to be terrifying and troubling and confusing, that, that, dearly beloved, 
is a gift of God, to wait on Him. Even Isaiah 40, again, in the same chapter earlier, he says, there's no searching of his understanding. Don't search for his understanding. There's no searching for his understanding. So what's God telling these people? Well, the prophet is now, for 39 chapters, he's been telling us about the punishment. Now, beginning in chapter 40, God says, comfort ye my people. Comfort them and tell them their iniquity has been pardoned, their battle's over. And God's people are going, what do you mean by that? This is so confusing. And everything that we go through, everything that God providentially puts us through, dearly beloved, regardless whether it's times of blessings and pleasure, comfort and happiness, or sorrow, darkness, afflictions, we always have to maintain and understand our relationship to God. That's the most significant of all things. I'm getting ahead of myself, but sometimes, and I'm not the one that said this, and I'll appear it in it, but it's true, sometimes the providence of God appear to contradict the promises of God. And they do. It does here. You're going into captivity. But comfort my people. Tell them that everything... <laughs> so God says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of all the earth, fainteth not, nor is weary... He brings them back to himself. He brings them back to him. He brings us back to Christ. He brings us back to God. We mentioned it here a few weeks ago, our dear brother. Uh, the verse in Deuteronomy 29, Though the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, those things which are revealed belong to us. And that's almost what, that's exactly what he's doing here. There's no searching of his understanding, but here is something that you've heard. Here's something that you know, that I neither faint nor am I weary. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of all the earth, I don't faint and weary. What do you mean by faint or weary? Well, that's not physical weariness. I hope we all understand that. It's not physical. Why would God use faint and weary? Well, in our text... And in the language of Scripture, God is giving them great comfort by saying, I'm not, I do never faint, nor do I ever weary of your complaints, your failures, your fallings, your sin, your iniquities, your shortcomings. I don't faint. I don't weary of them. Are you listening to me? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not at your constant complaining, murmurings, doubts, Unbelief, failings, sins, your worryings. I don't weary of that. God never. It's almost like James when it says, Any man lacketh wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth liberally and upbraideth not. What's he mean by out? He doesn't scold us for asking for the same things over and over. So God never faints or wearies with our failures. I've been a Christian 40 years and I cannot count how many failures, how many times I've fallen short how many times I've even sinned and been faithful men would have fainted and been weary of me but God tells his people I never faint and I never weary I never do he says that's a comfort to God's people. That's why he's, this is part of that comfort ye, comfort ye my people in verse 1. This is what the prophet is doing. This is what God's doing to the prophet. God never faints at that. God never wearies of that. 
Why do you think Job says that wonderful verse in Job 22 when he says, Acquaint now thyself with him. Acquaint now thyself with him. Acquaint. An acquaintance is more than a friendship or just a casual visit. Acquaint is something intimate. Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. So they're confused. They're troubled. They're murmuring and complaining. My way is hid from the Lord and my judgment is passed over from my God. God through the prophet said, why are you asking that question? Have you not heard? Have you not, have you not known? Have you not heard? I faint not. I weary not. Have your constant failures and shortcomings. But I do give power <laughs> to the faint. And to them that have no might, I increase strength. You see, the opposite of that. I don't weary of it. I don't faint of it. But I'll give you power. I'll give you might. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you. God had sent numberless prophets to both Israel and Jacob over the years. Yet they continued in their sin and rebellion. Yet God did not faint nor grow weary of all these things, but he loved them still. The Bible says God loves us with an everlasting love. Martin Luther said it right when he said we too often have human thoughts of God. We think God too much human. We get weary of one another's complaining and murmurings. We get weary when one kind of goes too far extreme and we kind of get tired of it and weary of it. God says, I never do. I never do. But I'm the one that will give you strength. I'm the one that will hold you. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, or verse 10, uh, well, of Isaiah 41, verse 10. We read verse 41 to 2. Look at Isaiah 41, 10. Listen what he says, says in the next chapter. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. Don't lose courage. Don't lose courage. Why? For I am thy God. I am with thee. I am thy God. Nothing's changed. Listen to me. In the relationship with God, nothing has changed. No matter what you and I meet, no matter how fiery the trial or the affliction, no matter what happens in this world, nothing changes in our relationship with God because of Christ. Nothing changes. He remains faithful. He never wearies. He never faints. He upbraideth not. He never changes. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Look over in the same chapter, verses 17 and 18. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them, I, the God of Israel. See? will not forsake them. I will open, a, open rivers and high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Again, someone is poor and needy. 
Before, someone was afraid. Someone was dismayed. God didn't or wasn't weary or faint in helping them. He aided them. He strengthened them. He gave them water. Look in Isaiah chapter 51. Verse 1 to 3. Verses 1 to 3. Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. Listen to this. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. Watch this. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord, joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. You see, God, though he pronounced this judgment, God wanted them to know that the relationship between him and his people had not changed even because of that. Like Israel, dearly beloved, and Jacob, the church today like I said, is facing a lot of trials and troubles. And like Israel, much of it is due to our own rebellion and sin. I agree. Yet like Israel, the church has and never will be dependent upon the faithfulness and strength of men, but in Christ. We have to be careful in such days in which we live in that we believe it's up to the church to keep her head above water. It's not up to the church. but it's up to Christ. It's His church, not ours. He alone, Psalm 46 talks about, He alone is her maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Christ Himself said the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. God is in her midst, Isaiah 46 says. She shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. Yes, we're facing difficult times, maybe not as severe yet, as in the days of Isaiah, but it's upon us. It's not up to you and I to keep the church going. It's up to God. Sometimes today when I hear sermons, I, a lot of preachers sound like the prophet Isaiah, sound like they're sitting under a juniper tree someplace and saying, well, this is all it. You know, there's only a small remnant left. I'm one of the few. And God's like saying, Elijah, get up. Here you. Get up. This isn't... This isn't and has never been dependent upon you and your faithfulness. I'm the one that keeps my church. I'm the one that keeps my people. I'm the sovereign God. Yes, it looks like outward circumstances look like, you know, it's sad, deplorable, terrible, confusing. But it's still kept by God. God still led them into captivity. Are you listening? God still led them into captivity. But he never left them in that captivity. You know, Paul said Christ's strength is perfected in our weakness. That's what he said. Christ's strength in us is perfected in our weakness. And though Christ would have us to always be sensible or sensitive to our own weakness, he'll never let us fall under it. Are you listening to me? He wants us to be sensible. 
or sensitive to our weakness, but he'll never let us fall under it. He'll always strengthen us. He'll always encourage us. And his timing is impeccable. I could go through, and I'm sure you could as well, over the last 40 years of the many, many, many times that things looked hopeless and despair was right around the corner. And yet, out of nowhere, God's impeccable timing either brought a scripture verse, brought a brother or sister, did something providentially in our lives to enable us to keep going, to strengthen our hearts. It's not of us, dearly beloved, it's of God. God wouldn't remove them from captivity, but he would give power to the faint and to those who had no might, he would increase strength. Beloved, he's, he's speaking of those who have known and heard, but they've known and heard of little. Go back to Isaiah 40. forty. Let me, let me show you this. Listen to what he says here. Um, beginning verse 8, let's read down again. Uh, 28, I mean, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. He's speaking to those that have known and have heard, but little. In other words, he's speaking to those that are yet young or babes in Christ. I'm going to give you, he said, I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you might. He's speaking to those that have known and heard yet little. I think there's three phases in these verses. You have in verse 29, you have the young or the babes in Christ. Verse 30, you have the fleshly. Because he said, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. Those are those who trust in the flesh. But he gets down to the main point in verse 31. He says, but, this is what I'm getting at, but they that wait, the young I'll give might, and I'll give strength to, yes. I'll help the babes. I'll carry them in my bosoms. I'll help them. But this is what I want you to desire. This is what I want you to achieve in my walk, in my relationship with you. I want you to learn what it is to wait upon the Lord so that I can renew your strength. You listen? I will give power to the faint and I will give might to those. I'll give strength to those, increase the strength of those who have no might, but they that wait upon the Lord. You know, Deuteronomy 32:11 says, as an eagle stirreth up her nest, listen, this, as an eagle stirreth up her nest, Fluttereth over her young, spreadeth broad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings, supports her. You know, they say, and I'm I'm not sure. If you want to get all the analogies of, a, of an eagle and all that, you can go someplace else for that. There's some preachers that have went into detail about eagles and how you can compare them to the verse, and I'll, I'll let you get into that. But there's one thing I did. I did read about eagle, eagles years years ago, whether it's true or not. They say this. They they say that the eagles will take their babes and um, they will direct their faces or their their faces towards the sun, and those that look away they'll despise. They'll actually throw out a nest if they don't look into the sun. Whether that's true or not, uh, I have to do some more research on that. But I just thought that was a uh, that was a weird example. God carries them. He strengthens the weak, the young. Those that trust in the flesh, they'll fall. 
But to this end is what the prophet wishes to exhort God's people who are complaining or saying that their way is hid from the Lord and their judgment is passed over from God. To this end, he wants them to come. But they that wait upon the Lord. You know, it is, like I said earlier, the most difficult, even the greatest of difficulties to wait upon the Lord when the circumstances and situations surrounding us are more troubling and unknown. It's difficult to wait on God, to relinquish all control, like I said, into the hands of God, that he might not only guide and govern our every lot, but also the measure and duration of every trial, to trust in God, to subdue every urge in our hearts and our minds, to take control, do something, to act. That is oftentimes very difficult for us to do. And yet God says, I want you to wait on God. You know what to wait is in the English definition of it? It's, it is to stay and rest with expectation. Patience is enduring something in a good spirit. That's patience. You endure with a right spirit, calmness. That's patience. Waiting is different. Waiting is to stay and rest with expectation. To stop or remain stationary Till the arrival of some person or event. And I like that a lot better. To stop or remain stationary till the arrival of some person or event. But they that wait, what? Upon the Lord. Wait till he arrives. Wait till he comes. Wait till he delivers. That, that, dearly beloved, is the exhortation the prophet wants God's people to understand. This is the greatest blessing. Wait upon God. Don't try to search his understanding. Don't try to figure out why all this is happening. Wait upon the Lord. We were in Psalm 27. I think we all know this verse. Psalm 27. Psalm chapter 27. In verse 14. Listen what the psalmist says here. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Isn't that amazing? The psalmist says you have to be very courageous to wait. He says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And while you're waiting, and of good courage... He'll strengthen your heart. For what? To wait longer. That's an amazing virtue that one only learns by experience. When God puts us providentially in different situations of life, He teaches us the blessings of waiting on God. It's not something that comes automatically. It's not something that one just automatically learns by reading the Scripture. It's one God teaches us. By leading us into different and various situations in our lives, teaching us how the blessings of waiting upon God. And oftentimes we fail in waiting upon God and we try to do something ourselves. And we fall. God says, I don't faint, I don't weary, let's do it again. I was impatient. God said, that's okay. I don't faint. I don't worry. Let's do it again. 
God, I'm having a hard time with this waiting. God said, that's okay. I don't faint. I don't worry. Let's do it again. The psalmist said, he will perfect that which concerneth me. He will perfect that which concerneth me. You know, we, we like to boast about the sovereignty of God in creation and salvation. But what about the sovereignty of God in our own Christian lives? You, you don't think the potter has power over the clay? He's going to get us to where he wants us. Some of us take longer, not due to ourselves. Maybe it's God's way, God's will. Maybe it's what God has ordained for us. We all have different lives. God leads us differently. But God is sovereign, and he will have his way. He will perfect that which concerneth me. Beloved, nothing is like under the fresh and new strengthening of God's grace and mercy. Do you remember when you were young in the Lord and you experienced that first time when God strengthened you? Sometimes we don't we don't go back, and that's why I encourage people to write journals um, so you can go back and read your experiences of God. You go back and you look over your journals, you go back over your life when you were a young Christian, that, that first fresh and new strengthening of God's grace when he gave you grace to, to endure something or go through something and you, you felt strength and you felt God's presence and it was just, it was a wonderful thing to experience. But beloved, there's nothing to compare to God renewing that strength which has so often been comforting to us. That's why the, the prophet uses the word renew their strength. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I love like he, how he says they shall mount up. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. He doesn't use the eagle. He's talking about the wings. Someone reach out to eight foot spans. The eagles just mount up and flies. Finds himself being able to go over or fly over spiritually thinking. Arise above all his tribulations and trials and afflictions. He can run. He can run and not be weary. I'll run the way of thy commandments when thou enlargest my heart. He can walk and not faint. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Perseverance is what he's talking Perseverance. Those that wait on the Lord, their strength is renewed, and they can mount up or they can run or they can walk and not weary, not be faint, and rise above all their complications and problems and fears and doubts. That's why the prophet wanted to encourage them in Isaiah chapter 40. This was the comfort God wanted his people to hear. Yes, you're going to get into captivity. Yes, I'm going to destroy Jerusalem and the temple. Yes, all these things are going to happen. Yes, it looks devastating. But you can't look at my understanding and my reasoning in that. You need to look to me. You need to look to me. I am the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of all the earth. I faint not. And neither do I weary. There's no understanding. There's no searching of my understanding. But I give strength unto the weak. And I give might unto those who lack strength. You see what he's saying? Look unto me. Amen. I like Job's answer in the same reference. When he said in Job 23, he said, Will he plead against me with his great power? Probably what these Israelites were thinking. Will he plead against me with his great power? I love Job's answer. He said, no. But he would put strength in me. He would put strength in me. 
may God give us grace, especially in this day and age in which we live in. A lot of things are coming upon the church. A lot of things are upon the church. It's not coming. We are here. It is upon us. And I believe like the Israelites, I believe God's going to do things that's going to be unsearchable. We're not going to comprehend them. Even now, we don't comprehend or understand that it's not the church to keep the church. God never gave us power to keep the church. It's his church. What are we to do? Wait on the Lord. And he'll renew our strength. And then in these times, we can mount up with wings as eagles. We can run and not faint, and we can walk and not be weary. We can persevere. May God give us grace to do such things. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, for your encouragement. We thank you, Lord, for showing us an example in the Old Testament of the goodness and grace and unchanging faithfulness and everlasting love of God. What more do we have in Christ now that he has come and obtained a perfect salvation? Father, I pray that, God, you'd help us in these days. Father, perilous times are not coming there upon us. And, Lord, how much more perilous they shall be, we know not. And we seek not to understand. We seek only to wait on you, to look unto you, to find our strength, our hope, and our confidence in thee. May thy word ever be a light under our path. And may we, Lord God, ever, as you've encouraged us in your word, look unto you, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, I pray you'd be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. Now may you bless the word of God to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to reminisce, meditate, and think upon it throughout the week. And Lord, may, like Luther said, your word triumph through our lives. We love you and thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray.